when I think of rebellion, I think about the fact that most people get intoxicated every weekend and most people don't consider where their food comes from and most people uh, continue recreating sexist jokes and most people make racist throwaway comments all the time. So being rebellious is actually being sober-minded and clear-headed and actively engaged in politics in the world in some degree of it. But I've come to understand is that we actually have to meet people where they are and most people are products from the environment and products of their upbringing and if you grew up in a fucking awful upbringing and you have violence role modeled to you from childhood pretty likely percentage that you might recreate that there's no point in just excluding those people you know like if you genuinely if you're genuinely in this co because you want things to change you have to work with everyone you can't just exclude the people that have got the wrong ideas. You actually have to work with the people who have the wrong ideas, not be, oh, hey, we're the fucking, we're the real conscious ones. Those people don't, you, do you know what I mean? I was a very insecure child, man. Like, I was a real insecure child who used to think about killing himself all the time and fucking didn't think I'd be shit. I didn't think anyone would like me. And now I'm happy. Like, I'm grateful for that. That was Richie Hardcore, and this is Dug It, the podcast. Welcome to Dug It, episode 50. And what a way to bring up the half century with none other than Richie Hardcore. And what a special episode this one was. A real tearjerker, quite literally. Richie, myself, and my girlfriend, Moni, were all in tears of gratitude after such an authentic and inspiring conversation. For those who don't know Richie, he's a former martial arts champion turned personal trainer, Muay Thai coach, social justice campaigner, public speaker, and so much more. He's been doing wonderful work with boys and men around masculinity and what that means, and also a leading voice in social issues like pornography and family violence, even the way we communicate with each other the music we listen to, and how people interact on social media. And he's got such a great perspective. He's, uh, he's got the tattoos and the, the bling and this fighter background, and then, and then he contrasts that with such compassion and humili- humility and understanding for people who would normally just vilify and uh, trying to really understand their environment and what caused them to behave the way, the way, they, the way they did or what is leading to these issues. Um, which I think is just such a, a wonderful message that's needed at this time. I've got a great book uh, by Benjamin Hardy called Willpower Doesn't Work, and I've been giving it to a lot of friends, and it's all about that, environments dictating behavior and how can we change those environments and incentivize better behaviors. And um, it's just something I'm so passionate about, and uh, so is Richie, and I feel so grateful to sit down with him and to hear his message, his story, and the issues he's working on. And it's so great that he's getting so much limelight around this and it really shows when you speak with authenticity and you really have a cause you're passionate about that that it can really connect with people and, and that connection is so missing in the modern world. And it's great to see Richie's got a TED talk coming up soon, which I'm really excited about. So he's speaking at TEDx Auckland and he's also doing some training now out of Forks Knox Gym in Grey Lynn. And uh, I love the training too. And that's also where Coach Sands, the previous podcast guest, is training out of too. So that's going to be a hot spot to, to really throw a few punches and throw a few weights around in a, in, a, in a nice way. So get down there, check out Richie's TED Talk if you can get there or see it online and um, enjoy the conversation. Here we go with the man, the myth, the legend, Richie Hardcore. Welcome, Richie. Hey, man. Thanks, thanks for, for the, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the time. You're welcome. Um, you're just saying you've got a packed uh, a packed few months. Yeah, uh, yeah Speaking well, and traveling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Packed. Well, the next pack pack four weeks are pretty busy. Like I'm doing a TED talk. Um, which that your, that's your first TED talk. Yeah, first TED talk, um, which is a nice bit of uh, it's a nice invitation to have and. 
So I'm kind of due to the nature of the internet and the fact that it's you know puts on YouTube, gets put on YouTube. I'm like, oh, it's got to be really good because people say mean things otherwise. So yeah, focusing on that, and then I do a lot of public speaking anyway. Uh, I've got a bunch of talks coming up in in Australia and here in New Zealand as well. Fantastic, because you're you're known for talking about pornography and a lot of and 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 and, and, and issues with youth um, with. Sexuality and violence and different. Or is there, or is that? I guess that, that's some of the stuff I've seen. But you, I know you do a lot of work in mental health with youth. With yeah, people are like, what do you actually yeah, do? How would yeah, you describe yeah, yeah. Your, how would you describe it yourself? Uh, okay, so broadly speaking, I um, I work in the space of uh, uh, I guess uh, violence prevention. So we have a gendered violence problem. You know, we have. 118,000 calls were made to the police in 2016 in New Zealand about family violence. Um, And that violence is asymmetrical in the gendered breakdown of it in that men commit violence towards women more often than... Women and children more often than women commit it towards men. So what I've found working in the space for the uh, last few years is that the best way that we can prevent violence, whether sexual violence or family violence, is to work with men. Uh, and while I don't solely work with men and boys, um, I do often find myself speaking to audiences of, of men or schoolboys around masculinity and what shapes masculinity, you know, from, from childhood onwards, we're put into a, uh, a gendered role of behavior. You know, boys are given trucks and tools and guns and action figures and girls are given pink dolls and flowery coloring books and kitchen appliances do you know those are actual toys yeah. i've seen and it's not always but i'm speaking broadly and generally and along with those those superficial things there are sort of uh behavioral behavioral norms that are expected of of boys and girls uh that society imposes upon us so when you mention um pornography for example kids these days start learning about sex from pornography research tells us from about 11 years of age is their first exposure if you look at smartphones you know they're everywhere kids have them from intermediate school so uh within pornography there is a, and again pornography is a huge spectrum you know like it's a cornucopia of anything that you want on the internet but speaking about what most people look at mainstream heterosexual pornogra- pornography there is um really problematic scripts within it that young people get their ideas from, boys and girls, men and women, which uh, see the sexualization of violence and degradation and aggressiveness. And so kids are getting these ideas that putting women down, hurting women, uh, calling them names is what sex is. So, you know, I'll go to a school and hear about young girls who are going to hospital with sex-related injuries trying to do what adult-paid sex workers are doing in porn. Or 17-year-old boys who've got erectile dysfunction. Or you look at some of our um, infamous cases in the media, like Rosebusters. You know, those teenage boys are very much recreating the scripts that uh, not just porn, but our mainstream culture has taught them. You know, you look at the Wellington College incident, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but last year uh, there was a private Facebook group in Wellington College. A bunch of young boys had a page in which they wrote things like, if you don't take advantage of a drunk girl, you're not a true WC boy. Fuck woman. And these are teenage boys. But where do they get those ideas from? You know, a four-year-old child doesn't inherently have these sexist attitudes. Those attitudes are taught to them from the culture that we live in, the things his big brother says, the things that his dad might say. Do you know what I mean? The music he's listening to, the advertising that he grows up being absorbed in. So when you ask, what do I do? I go into a school or a business or a workplace or I talk to a group of professionals, whether it's police or public health. And I'm like, these are the scripts that we get taught. We need to teach critical filters. You know, we need to give people understandings about culture explicitly because we don't do that we just kind of like oh it's in the background of our life and that's what's on the radio and we don't necessarily stop and pause about what we're indoctrinating in young people uh and then we wonder why the kids are going crazy <laughs> do you know do you know what i mean so i talk about masculinity and i talk about uh violence prevention i talk about sex and consent and pornography is within that conversation you can't divorce that uh increasingly particularly when I'm talking to professional bodies of people, you know, health workers, counsellors, uh, 
uh, violence, uh, family violence, like support workers. Um, then I do a more, uh, I guess, a more academic presentation, looking at like statistics of the fact that 88% of pornography's got, you know, verbal verbal violence against women, or you know, some 40 something percent has got uh, acts of physical aggression towards women. Uh, and what is that indoctrinating? What is that teaching? You know, we think that. We need to have ongoing conversations around consent. What is consent? What does meaningful sex and consent look like? How do we teach young people that? Or when in porn, do you ever hear someone say, do you mind if I touch you there? Or does that feel good for you? Or just tell me to stop if you don't like doing that anymore. It's, it's never like that. It's like five guys calling a girl a whore and slapping her around and like roughly, you know, having sex with her. So kids get weird ideas, you know what I mean? The problem with talking about porn in the public space is everyone thinks that you're like a trench coat wearing porn addict, which has never been me, you know, like while I looked at porn like any young person without having any of the critical filters that uh, I'm talking about now, like I never, you know, missed a day at work because I was staring at the internet, do you know what I mean? So it's a funny thing being in the public space talking about those sorts of things. People want to... People don't have nuance, I've learnt. Like the, the more I go on mainstream media or podcasts or jump on the radio and talk about something, the more I'm like, oh, someone's going to get the wrong idea about what I'm saying because people want easy... People want to put things in easy boxes to understand rather than have nuanced conversations around things. Oh, that's... I feel you there just trying to do this course with teenagers and the things I get from parents with, from... This must be a course for just delinquents who are off the rails to um, the whole spectrum. Like you say, they're trying to put you in a certain box and, and, and really it's just a conversation we should all be having around these different issues. But what... Because what, I saw a piece where you said like getting into kickboxing and Muay Thai at 13 was a really pivotal point in your life. But what was the what led you into this um, field of public speaking and, and passion around these interests? Yeah, um, what led me to public speaking? People, someone just asked me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just started basically like all the stuff that I do, I guess, semi publicly and professionally has just all evolved kind of organically. So I think I first did a public talk in two thousand and fourteen. It was for Creative Mornings, um, which is a New York-based initiative, and there's uh, chapters all around the world. It's kind of like the TED Talk series, right? And I got invited to talk about uh, the topic of just they give, they give you a word, and the word is rebel, and what does that look like? And I was, like, nervous as shit because I had never done a whole lot of public speaking. While I'd done radio for, like, over 10 years... There's not a crowd of people who can throw like rotten tomatoes at you with, it, with you know when you're broadcasting. So my good friend Damien Alexander, who sings for Blind Spot, he sent me a text and he said, "Bro, they don't want a public speaker; they just want you to be you." So I went out and I gave this talk about what rebellion meant to me, which was um, quite different to what mainstream culture, I believe, teaches what rebellion is. You know, we get taught that being a rebel is being nihilistic and doing drugs and fuck, fuck authority and uh, being self-destructive with alcohol and not really giving a fuck and being really apathetic, right? You know, like, yeah, fuck the system, f- some socks, you know, old notions of, like, Sid Vicious and stuff, which to a degree, I suppose, there is a countercultural element in that. But when I think of rebellion, I think about the fact that most people get intoxicated every weekend and most people don't consider where their food comes from and most people uh, continue recreating sexist jokes and most people make racist throwaway comments all the time so being rebellious is actually being sober-minded and clear-headed and actively engaged in politics in the world in some degree of it. And I broke down all the different bands because I grew up in um, the hardcore scene, which was which is kind of where I take my name from. It was my ring name as a fighter, and hardcore is a style of music that came out of the punk scene. Uh, and it was very political, you know, like it started in the 80s, uh, in the States and then I discovered it in like 1996, 1997 and I was this angry pissed off kid 
but it gave me something to actually be angry about. So all these bands are singing about veganism and straight edge, which is a personal oath of sobriety and, uh, you know, politics and capitalism and all these big ideas that a pissed off idealistic kid who wanted the world to be different really vibe with, you know what I mean? But those are the ideas that I went on to study when I decided to go to university as an adult, you know, in my 20s. And so I got invited to give this talk and I broke down all these different bands and all these different lyrics and all the different ideas that they taught me. And the fact that you don't hear those songs on mainstream radio. On mainstream radio, you hear songs selling, you know, gin and juice and name brand cars and recreating sexist ideas, you know, like I think Robin Thicke and Blurred Lines and ASAP Rocky and all the shit that people think is really popular and is the background to their day-to-day existence is actually recreating really shitty ideas about misogyny and consumerism. And I'm not, uh, I'm not immune to any of that. I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm wearing like ostentatious fucking Nikes and I drove here in an Audi and like I'm of the same culture that I'm trying to, I guess, critically, uh, I know critically discuss. Do you know what I mean? I'm not immune to all of that, but I think just talking about it is an important starting point. You know, like I'm insecure, so I want to look a particular way. I suppose you know, like, and I want to consume certain things and be seen to consume certain things. And the culture constantly rewards me for that. You know what I mean? Like on a certain level, um, I'm still working through all of that sort of stuff. But it started from a young age with rejecting those big ideas. You know what I mean? I saw a really great f- fiction film the other day called Leave No Trace, and it's about a soldier who's got PTSD and he can't live in normal society and he always takes his daughter everywhere and then they get uh, hooked up with um, authorities. And he's like, she's, she's like, the father of the daughter, they're like, oh, we're in the system now. And one of them quips, well, at least we can think our own thoughts. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good point. You know what I mean? Like, while the trappings of modern society might be something I I do buy into, at least I'm trying my best not to recreate all the shitty ideas. Do you know what I mean? And I guess that's a lot of what's become my work. You know, I went from that talk in 2014 with Creative Mornings, and more and more people started asking me to talk about what I do professionally. At that time, I was working in reducing alcohol and drug harm in the community. I was working for a project for the Ministry of Health. And um, then I got nominated to be a White Ribbon ambassador. White Ribbon is an anti-violence movement started in 1991 in Canada after a mass shooting in 1989. The Montreal Massacre saw a lone gunman walk into a polytechnic, separate the men from women, and just execute the woman in the room in a self-declared war on feminism. Uh, and it became a, w- a worldwide movement because men have recognized that violence against women is a men's problem. You know, feminist activists, feminist um, academics have been working for decades to stop men's violence, but actually men need to take that responsibility. It's not women beating up other women. It's not women, like, storming into s- schools and shooting people. It's men. So how do we change masculinity? So, yeah, the more I got educated around these issues the more people would and you know I talk about it actually on social media you know like as much as I post like a shirtless gym selfie or me kickboxing or you know training some pro fighter or my vegan lunch you know I also try and use social media in my small you know capacity to talk about these things and it's actually led to real world interactions it's led to me talking to like thousands and thousands of young people now I'd just be like, oh, I talked to this school today. And there are more schools who'd get in touch and be like, would you come talk at our school? And um, I was like, sure, <laughs> I guess so. And then some of my friends who are very business savvy were like, you know, like paid public speaking is a thing and it's not like you're just doing it for, you know, like goodwill because you do need to pay your rent. So people get in touch and I'm like, yeah, cool. What's your budget? Uh, I, I normally charge this much, but tell me what works for you. And... Yeah, now I'm speaking not just in New Zealand, I'm speaking in throughout, I've spoken in Australia a bunch, and it's all been pretty like, whoa, <laughs> this is cool. Not because I get, I mean, it is, uh, I guess, I'm grateful because I know what it's like to be a, a scared little kid. You know, I grew up with family violence, and I grew up with an alcoholic parent, and 
uh, that really uh, is something that I've continued to have to work through you know like my inner child as it were is very scared and uh, very insecure and if I can speak to boys and men so they grow into uh, better people so that the kids that they might have aren't like that it's really rewarding Uh, and I've doing this sort of co-papa you I've met like countless women who've told me about you know what, countless women and countless men who've told me about being sexually abused or being in a really destructive relationship or you know, any number of sad stories, whether they're very close personal friends who uh, wanted to share or just people on the internet, you know, man, like so much comes back and I'm like, fuck, man, we've got like such a problem, you know, like we've got an endemic violence problem. We've got an endemic rape culture. And it's not, like, cool to say that. Like, people are rape culture, what's that? No. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm not saying all men are rapists. Most men are good men. But all it takes for shitty things to keep happening is good people to say nothing and perpetuate the culture from which all these terrible actions emerge from. So, yeah, I'm happy to be doing this work despite it being emotionally taxing. And, you know, like, I'm not the only guy doing this. And, and you have to, I have to recognize that... Um, there's a degree of male privilege, which means that I get a degree of public attention for doing this. You know, like women have been saying the same thing that I've been saying for fucking years. And, and the fact that I'm a dude, unfortunately, means that guys in the media or whatever will be like, oh, let's get them on to talk about it. You know what I mean? So I'm mindful that I'm standing on, what is it? Standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, like all the things that I uh, speak about publicly, a lot of come from female activists having done this work for a long time and uh, I just want to acknowledge their their hard work for decades you know what I mean and then there are really great um, educators and activists and academics throughout the world that that I've uh, discovered who have informed my practice um, there's a really great guy called Michael Flood in Australia there's a former professor from the University of Texas called Robert Jensen who I now get to swap emails with, you know? Like I found their work when I was a young dude looking to make sense of the world. And then you email them 10 years later and you're like, yo man, I read all your books. <laughs> and now I talk about this shit to, to you know, thousands of people. And they always hit you straight back and like, oh, that's rad. They don't say, yo, that's rad, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's really nice to be doing the same work that they've done now. Yeah, so I hope to be able to continue to do it for the foreseeable future. Oh, it's, it's it's so fantastic, like you say, standing on the fact that you even acknowledge the people that have come before you, I think, is um, is, is just like testament to how you've thought about the subject you're talking about. Um, well, and you, yeah, you kind of have to. I, I mean, I think a lot, yeah, I don't know. Like, you have to check your ego, you know, because particularly in the social media day and age, a lot of people can think that you're talking about what you're talking about online for uh, self-aggrandizement. Oh, hey, look at me. I'm doing the woke doing the woke shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the fucking man. And there is, like, a performative element that you do see on the internet. And, hey, maybe I, maybe I do buy into that a bit. I'm trying my best not to. But I see people, like, performatively shaming people on the internet all the time. Oh, you're not conscious enough, or you said the wrong thing, or you used the wrong language or you know you did this problematic behavior let's socially shame you and excommunicate you I don't want to be like that you know I've come to I mean I work with men who've been horribly domestically abusive I work with men who have committed atrocious crimes at a time in my life I would have thought yeah that person deserves to be locked in prison forever or the death penalty but I've come to understand is that we actually have to meet people where they are and most people are products from their environment and products of their upbringing and if you grew up in a fucking awful upbringing and you have violence role modeled to you from childhood, pretty likely percentage that you might recreate that. And you have to understand that violence isn't just physical, it's emotional and it's verbal. And, and, and um, there's no point in just excluding those people. You know, like if, you genuinely, if you're genuinely in this co-papa because you want things to change, you have to work with everyone. You can't just exclude the people that have got the wrong ideas. You actually have to work with the people who have the wrong ideas, not be 
oh hey we're the fucking we're the real conscious ones those people don't you, do you know what I mean you know like I think online activism does a lot of good you know look at things like Me Too or Time's Up or these big international movements that have given uh, women a voice about the abuse that they have experienced and men too you know men have come forward with their experiences of sexual violence but at the same time there are so many countless I don't know not trolls because I think they're well-meaning essentially but there's countless anonymous you know twiddle handles that do their best to silence silence other voices it's almost like there's an exclusivity to activism if you're not like doing it right you know like there's these razor thin nuances that they expect people who don't have academic backgrounds to understand fuck most people are just busy doing what they're doing to like pay for their kids to go to school and put a roof over their head and just kind of have some semblance of joy in their life they're not spending all day reading you know deep thought pieces or going to university do you know you have to kind of understand that if you understand these very nuanced ideas about gender politics and violence prevention you're actually really privileged so talk with people don't talk at them or yell at them or shout at them I understand that being oppressed like intersectionally as a person of colour and as a female or as if you're trans or if you're a sexual minority if you're gay or lesbian or bi or then yeah there's a lot of rage that comes with that it sucks when people oppress you and ignore you and exclude you your whole lifetime but change doesn't necessarily happen by yelling at people or making them feel shit and excluding with them change I think does require a million fucking patient conversations you know if you just make people feel bad about saying the wrong thing they're going to be like fucking psychos fucking feminazis you know those are unhelpful terms you know like that rage comes from a justifiable place but we need to check our rage I think and yeah again I'm privileged because I'm a fucking middle class white guy so maybe I don't have to deal with that but I'm like how do you be an effective activist you have to talk with people and bring them into the conversation and into the movement not create these us and them dichotomies such a wonderful point it reminds me I was, I, was, I, was, I was on a bike ride with a good mate and his family and uh, this, this truck came like speeding around the corner it was a really dodgy like over, overtaking position and um, and he kind of revved his engine and and as he went around the it was like a blind corner where he overtook and and one of my good mates just kind of like yelled at him and did the finger and the truck instantly stopped and turned around and this big guy jumped out but the instant reaction was both people were wrong like he was hating on the the driver and the driver was hating on my mate the cyclist and I thought um and I remind and, and there's a question someone talked about asking which was just like asking that person how it made them feel like being like you know you you doing that made me feel really scared and that you didn't you know see us on the road and but instantly everyone met with just anger and aggression mm. and it took like half an hour for the thing to peter down to get to that point and I, I think um having that open conversation like you say and meeting people with curiosity rather than judgment is and that's hard you know like yeah. it, i'm not saying it's easy like there was a time in my life in my 20s when people would say something that I knew was, you know, pro problematic. It was sexist or it was racist or it was, you know, mm. it was whatever. But And I used to, like, attack them. But now I'm kind of like, oh, well, he probably doesn't know. <laughs> like, how would he? He doesn't have the privilege of going to university or hanging out with other people who are deeply knowledgeable about these kind of nuanced topics that we don't talk about. Like, how would they know? They're just recreating what everyone else is doing. So instead of going, you're a bad person, it's like, oh, yo, man, <laughs> like probably never thought about it. But when you use that word or when you say that or when you share that joke or that meme that you posted, it kind of is saying that this is okay. Just wanted to put it out there, bro. Like maybe you should take it down. or you know, And people kind of like kind of get it a bit more mm. rather than blah, blah, blah. I'm better than you because I know all this shit. Because you know what? There's a million one things I don't know and I'm still learning. Do you know what I mean? But I think 
the more I do this, and it's been a few years now, it's like we kind of, I think it was Voltaire who said, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, a lot of people expect everyone to have be ideal, but no one is. And a lot of people under, who post under like fake names and stuff or have fake Twitter handles or whatever, they're the ones doing all the, all the attacking and the judging and the shaming. And it's like, you're like a fake person. Like, you know, like if you post under a real name and you're an actual identity or people know what your face looks like, you're easy to attack. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's easy to pretend that you're perfect on the internet if you're anonymous, you know, like it, I, I, I might respect your viewpoint or the way that you're going about this if you actually had the audacity and courage to critique things under your real identity. But as soon as people start tearing public figures down, whoever they are, for whatever reason, anonymously, I kind of, what they're saying might have some valid points to it, but I kind of, I'm like, well, it's easy to be perfect when no one knows who the fuck you are, dude. You know what? Because I guarantee you're not perfect. Do you know what I mean? Everyone makes mistakes. You know? You see people like pulling up screenshots of something someone said fucking six years ago. It's like, fuck, I'm different from how I was six months ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, I'm, am I really going to hold someone to account for something they said six years ago? Hey, if it's a crime, you know, like we're seeing in America with like Richard Kavanaugh or, you know, Bill Cosby or Donald Trump, by all means, you know, like prosecute that person, throw the law at them. You know, if you've got a history of sexual violence or whatever it may be, and the current climate has emboldened people to come forward and talk about the crimes that they've been uh, a victim of, that's amazing. You know, like, yeah, all power to you. But if someone just said something stupid or, you know, used a word that was homophobic, like, Maybe talk with them about it, you know? Who, when you're 24, you're fucking still growing up. Your brain doesn't even start solidifying <laughs> until you're in your 20s, you know what I mean? Particularly for men, you know? We, we act on impulse and emotion and we say stupid things and we get in fights and those aren't good things, but we need to, I don't know, we need to take those into account before we, I don't know, rip people down. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I think the, I listened to a monk the other day and he said that he was really depressed for a long time because he was meditating just about his own happiness and have compassion for others. And I think that compassion is something that's not really taught. And the other thing was, I remember on our yoga teacher training, which was like, if you're presenting even just a yoga class or a fitness class, you know, just expect half the, half the people in the room won't like you. <laughs> you know, so your, your expectations are not... There's a weird... I've been reading a lot of books on this, how we're... Like, parents have a lot more time for children and we can wrap them... Particularly, more successful parents can wrap them in cotton wool and and not realise it's a... Um, and I've found this myself, that that the expectations are setting you, setting you up for failure later on because you're expecting things to be easier than they are or mm. people to be nicer than they are. And, 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 and I know that it's a definition of happiness to you life uh, happiness is reality minus expectations mm. and I, I mean think about this a while because you've got the fighting background too of how you get that balance right of compassion understanding and also like working hard and pushing yourself and particularly physically for young men I know it's so important they thrive on challenge a lot of the time too and um, like how, what do you think's missing in the education sphere for young boys at the moment in that is there anything in that area that comes to mind? What's missing in education for young boys? Um, for young boys or boys or men? Or, I'm not sure. Well, I'm thinking, for me, it was school leaving, like leaving school, going to university. I feel like I just followed the crowd and did what everyone else was doing. Oh, okay, sure. And you, you weren't taught about, well, particularly now you've also got social media thrown on top Dude, of it. Um, well, I don't know, like... I'm not 100% au fait with the curriculum in New Zealand. Like, while I speak in schools as part of a body of work that a teacher or you know might, I'm not 100% sure what's in every school, but I know it's quite ad hoc, you know what I mean? But when you say what's missing in schools, I don't know, like, I remember when I was studying, I studied to be a teacher for a while, I didn't finish, but I remember having this conversation with, like, two 12-year-olds. This is a long time ago now, but 
the conversations I've continued to have is now I work in schools again. I told these kids, I was like, yo, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one of us was like, I want to be a doctor and I want to be a lawyer. And I'm like, why? And they both were like, to make a lot of money. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, it wasn't about helping sick people or prosecuting, the, you know, evildoers or, you know, defending the innocent. It was about making a lot of money. So I'm like, how do we have a conversation in schools about money doesn't actually make you happy like yeah you need it like you need a certain level of it but after we reach a certain income we our growth uh spiritually doesn't increase you know like our happiness doesn't increase you've done research around it once you've got food clothes shelter a degree of disposable income those things are essential and i wish that we had a more even distribution of that not just in new zealand but around the world because look upon to me you know like there's homeless people and then there's the fucking Audi dealership down the street that's bullshit you know like how do you ensure that all people have all those basic needs met and then some um, but point being you don't need heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of money to be a happy human how do we ensure that that sort of conversations happens in school how do you ensure that young if we're speaking just about boys that we don't lock boys in that box of behaviour you know, how do we ensure that we don't say things like don't be a girl, harden up, suck it up, um, take your concrete, you know, all those sorts of stereotypical mainstream masculine throwaway, you throw like a girl, you punch like a girl. Man, I've been punched by some really awesome girls, you know, they shit fucking they whip you, you know what I mean? Like, I know Olympic boxers and world champion female, you know, like those sorts of throwaway comments which uh, devalue stereotypically feminine traits, which devalue women, which are inherently sexist. Like, how do we teach boys not to say those sorts of things? Because when we devalue what a stereotypically, not inherently, but stereotypically, uh, traits which are associated with being a woman, being a good talker, being a good listener, being vulnerable, being sensitive, being in touch with our emotions, and we teach boys not to do those things, well, that's hugely problematic because how are young men dying in droves? Suicide, killing other young men in random violence, uh, substance abuse, reckless driving, automobile deaths. Because when you can't talk about what's going on inside you, when you can't have a meaningful connecting conversation with someone else, it's going to manifest somewhere. And in our culture, in a culture which gives boys praise for being really active, which gives boys praise for being aggressive, which gives boys praise for having fast cars and driving fast and taking risks and winning fights, well, what do you expect them to do? We fucking teach them that from, like, day dot. You know, from, like I said, the toys we give them to the things we pat them on the back for to the movies that we show them to the music that they listen to, which is all about, you know, braggadocio and swag and fixing problems by being violent and, you know, you're a fucking legend if you score heaps of chicks. Like, of course boys are going to act like that. How do we have that conversation in schools? How do we have, not just in some schools, because I'm aware that schools are starting to have that. I go and talk to them alongside lots of other wonderful educators. But how do we have that in all schools? And not just in New Zealand, but around the world. How do you have those critical understandings uh, to inoculate young people? That they don't have to buy into the tropes and ideas that we teach them day in, day out. You know what I mean? How do we give them like critical filters to not recreate what we uh, indoctrinate them with day in, day out. Because I think if we did that, boys and men would be happier and women and girls wouldn't have to walk around scared all the time. Because they do. Look at any sort of hashtag around Me Too or Time's Up that I keep referring to or everyday sexism or just talk to women in your life. A lot of men, I think, don't talk to women about what it's like to walk home at night. Well, how does it feel going to a club and having a guy... I talk to a lot of female friends and I'm like, if a guy hits on you and you don't want to talk to him, what do you do? I put a false number in his phone because it's less scary to give him a false number than, give him, than just say no because I'm scared of his reaction. Like, that's fucked. You know, it's so fucked that you would make up a story, take the time to put a false number on someone's phone rather than just say, oh, no thanks, I'm not interested. Or they're like, I have a boyfriend. Like, you need an out. You can't just say no because you're scared of men's reactions. It's terrible. Like, women go to the fucking bathroom 
with their friends you know like maybe it's to talk about a lot of it's like a safety thing like don't leave your drink attended is advice we give women in bars unattended sorry because they're scared of fucking having a drug slipped in it that's like that's a fucked up culture to live in you know what I mean so if we talk to boys about hey being sexually aggressive is wrong and you need to understand that all the shit that mainstream media is selling you is wrong and while it might sound good at the gym and it's fucking great to do some burpees too you don't need to like absorb those do you know what I mean like oh, just we, we've created all these problems through through capitalist culture yeah, and and I don't see that much kind of narrative to it and maybe that's because I'm looking at it through like a biased world lens but I don't think so like those academics that I talk to like world renowned professors I emailed them asking that question. Do we have like a uniform thing in America? That's where Robert Jensen is, or uh, in Australia where Michael Flood is. Do we ha- do do you know of this in your curriculums? And they're like, no, nah, we actually don't. Do you know what I mean? How do we have that kind of narrative that what you see on the TV, radio, movie screens, magazines, advertising billboards isn't what you need to absorb? And in fact, if you do absorb it, it's probably going to be not just bad for women and girls in your life, but for yourself. Yeah, I feel I, I, I'm looking at some great research around environment, and that, and even Yuval Noah Harari's just got a book coming out. He wrote *Sapiens* and *Homo Deus*, and he meditates for six months a year, or, or like long periods of time, silent each year, and just contemplates life and how we think. But he he thought free will is a bit of an illusion that you end up being the product of your environment. And I've looked a lot of this other another book I've got, *Willpower Doesn't Work*. Um, it's all about the environment creates you, like your discipline and internal motivation will just be over time diminished by the environment. And it's and I've I've thought about that a lot too. Come from the advertising background that we create this, you create the easy option to set everyone up um, just to meet their survival instincts, and you and you just know what end product you're going to get with this person. Mm. Um, like you might want to eat as healthy as you can but if there's only junk food in the house and you're limited to the house and there's only McDonald's on the corner corner, and that's all you can afford um, but it's, it's, the, it's, so you know at university I did like political science and sociology and stuff it's yeah. just basic sociological causatives and drivers of behaviour you know like you look at Mm, neighborhoods that have really high incidence of obesity and violent crime that's alcohol related well there are more fucking liquor shops and junk food fucking stores in those locations and then you put like economic deprivation on top of that well of course those people are going to take those options because that's what's around them you know you can't divorce people's behaviors from the environment they live in whether it's an environment of ideas and the physical environment and the options that they provided with like you given the neoliberal framework that we live under for the last you know 34 years 34 years since 1984 onwards 1980s onwards we continue to blame individuals for the bad choices that they make divorcing individuals from the culture that they live in the world that they live in the physical situation they find themselves in the family that they're born into the uh, impacts of colonialism, the impacts of, uh, you know, intergenerational addiction or intergenerational mental health issues or intergenerational poverty, you know, like, those things have a fucking impact on you. Like, you cannot just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to do this because I've willed it myself, you know? Like, yeah, there are a lot of people who do buck those odds. I know some amazing people who were refugees or came from, like, a really poor background or their parents were you know, had a whole lot of problems and now they're really successful in a, in a, at least in a, in a materialistic sense. But they are exceptions to the rule, you know? Like the, the statistics that we see splashed across our Facebook feeds and, you know, in the headlines, like, they're, they're the, the nameless people who, who can't just, like, will themselves out or work hard enough against all the odds that have been stacked against them. And then you actually need to give people... I don't know, you need to work with people as groups. You know, you need to change the environments that they live in. You, know, you fucking, you know, we have higher rates of obesity in 
socioeconomically marginalised neighbourhoods precisely because there's heaps of junk food, um, there is less recreational opportunities, um, there is, you know, they don't have the money to go around. Um, when you've got, like, to work 16 hours, you're not going to get home and cook a nutritious meal, you know? Whereas if you're affluent, you know, you, we're here sitting in fucking Ponsonby where I can walk past, like, four organic grocers on the way home, you know what I mean? And everyone around me is doing the same shit. You know, there's this whole, like, Instagram wellness bubble. That's really economically privileged. Like, you have to be rich to go on a fucking meditation retreat I a lot of the, the time. bathroom okay. in one second because I'm struggling to, like... <laughs> Yeah, cool. so good. I'm like, I'm not present. So, give me one second. I'll just pause. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm starting to look at. I did this talk uh, a while back because I've always been quite deficit focused. Like, fuck, I wish my child had been different, and yeah. I wish I wasn't fucking such a fucking emotional roller. You know, and like, why do I always fall in love with girls who are like so complicated? And, you know, like, like. Um, well, no, because it's interesting, but also because my level of trauma and dysfunction resonates with their level of trauma and dysfunction, and there are degrees of that, and some of them have been really painful, and some of them have been like, oh, cool, we can work with this. Do you know what I mean? That's why. Uh, yeah. Should we, should we? Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep it going, but that's... Because uh, there's so much of the research now is like they had that marshmallow study with um, it was a study where they gave kids a marshmallow and they said you know sit here for a couple of minutes if you don't eat it we'll bring another one to you I don't know him yeah. and it's this real famous study and it showed the people who could sit there and not eat the marshmallow and 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 knowing there'd be one in half an hour or ten minutes would end up being really wealthy and the the kids who would eat it and forego getting the second one sure. But, but it actually turned out that it was just the wealthier kids knew there'd always be food on the table, so they didn't need to worry about having to take it straight away. And so people from a poorer fac- background they were like, well, I don't know when the next meal's coming, so they'd eat it. And so it was actually an indicator of their environment, not their future. Yeah, and, um, right. And I've looked at a lot of other research around that, like even there's judges giving parole, and if they hadn't had lunch... If you got them before lunch, you're like 90% chance of not getting pro. If you got them after lunch, and Tony Robbins talks a lot about this, if you give someone a hot co- cup of coffee in the morning and talk to them about someone, um, and just get them to hold a coffee and it's hot, and, and, and they'll you tell them a story and they'll be like, a few minutes later you ask them about that person, they're like, oh, he's a great person, tell me this great story, blah, blah. But if the co- coffee's cold they'll be like oh he was quite rude and he got me to do this and really that. and it's that's and interesting the, the research and, and I think and so his big his biggest message which I got from him was you have to prime yourself with gratitude with put yourself in this great state so you're not and so you're not triggered and you're not in this negative mindset and you're not behaving this certain way and it's his whole philosophy is like prime yourself be a beautiful state um, because Otherwise, you think of every, you know, nine out of ten things will be negative. You'll focus on all of the bad things, and 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 I think, wow, what's like my biggest thing I want to teach at the moment is gratitude, just for that principle. But the research around it is just fascinating. I'm like, I'm not like I figure myself. I'm like, I'm just t- like particularly with sleep. If you're, I think teenage accidents go up like five hundred percent or something crazy in surgeon eras and just if they've got less than seven hours sleep particularly with teenagers um, and how irritable people get and it's just oh, dude when I'm like not this, sleeping I'm a uh, yeah. everything falls apart and so I'm so fascinated around that around like how can we you know just get people to sleep right and give them the right food so they are in a great state and a great environment and I know that's a hard one though yeah. because I think I mean there are economic uh you know, I, I don't see the discussion around like socio-economic inequality as much as we used to. Do you know what I mean? Like, that you have so much more opportunities to sleep right, see a specialist, eat well, see a dietitian. If you've got money, you know, how do we ensure that everyone has the same amount of like opportunity economically? You know what I mean? And I think that's where we need to talk a bit more politically. You know, like I'm really, you know, how do we ensure that we have a more a fair tax system how do we get a capital gains tax happening how do we uh, make sure that people who are on welfare get all their 
needs met and at the same time not economically punish people who may have be wealthy because they've just worked really hard but we also have to recognize that a lot of people who are wealthy have had levels of advantage from just the you know who they're born into how money they inherited the home they inherited the school that we went to you know what i mean how do we balance it out at a structural level a bit more that's but it's real interesting because I was reading about Jim Rohn's last night and he said... I don't know who that is. He's, he was... Well, he was actually Tony Robbins' mentor, one of them. But, oh. but I've heard this from a few other people that if you... Say if you took all the wealth in the world and then evenly distributed it, within a few years it would be back to the same place. True. Which is... Oh, wow, I don't know if true. I don't know why I said true, but like <laughs> kind of there stands but, to reason, I guess. But it was, it was the whole philosophy like you give a lot of winner someone who's not in the mentality of how to look after money and they haven't they've never never had it so never they, had yeah, it they've yeah. got no idea what to do with it they you know you hear of like Mike Tyson these guys losing billions of dollars because they had no idea and they just go back to where they started mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the power of environment and community and teaching is just like Gandhi like coming back to education um, and Moni and I have been watching a lot of stuff on longevity of these societies where the elders are there and the all the wisdoms really passed down and I feel like so much of that's missing. I'm, I'm interested in how you keep your environment and accountability and, and personal growth. I know you've you mentioned, I saw an interview we mentioned you have a, a counsellor you see and is there anything you try and do or people you see now or um, or people you like to be around or mentors that to hold you to that higher standard or to keep you yeah inspired. yeah yes yeah i mean yeah i guess so and again it's not like i was like one day everything i kind of find myself doing and live it how i've looked is kind of i guess there's a degree of intentional intentionality is that a word i've been intentional but it's all kind of i've just done it you know it's kind of organic i suppose but yeah i see a therapist like a really good uh one every week um, and that's gone from helping me process a bunch of emotional trauma and kind of negative patterns to a state where I'm quite well. You know, my mental health is quite well and I'm making good life choices. Uh, and it's become more like professional development because we have similar overlapping fields of expertise and interest. So she can help me understand different things and talk about different things. And that's awesome, you know what I mean? And also giving me a place to uh, put... When people tell you all the time very painful things that happen to them, you can get mm, vicariously traumatized. So quite often I'm, you know, I find myself crying a lot when I'm a bit burnt out or I'm talking about my work because it hurts to know these things are happening every day, I guess. And it's important that I go and see my uh, psychologist to just professionally process that. Um, yeah, I've got a really positive environment in the gym community, you know, like I've worked in gyms for over 10 years now and I've been doing martial arts for 25 years and um, a lot of the people, a lot of the relationships I've built there are with really people from super different walks of life to me, but uh, the mindset can be quite um, uplifting, you know, like even just going to the gym if you were motivated enough to go to the gym and then do that regularly and then make a lifestyle out of that that's a certain thing that's a certain sort of person who does that who sees the benefit of hard work and discipline and dedication healthy processing healthy coping how's your day oh fucking shit I'm just here fucking I'm running going for a run you know like being around that is positively reinforcing for how I have always lived my life and it reminds me to keep striving and uh, don't let small minds bring you down and gives you a place to also like mm, have a physical catharsis for whatever you might be going through whether it's anger or sadness or you know depression you know and and those people and those conversations you have within that environment that can that's been hugely beneficial in my professional space when i'm talking about sexual violence or family violence i have some really awesome older people who've been doing this work doing this cop up been involved in this cop up for a lot longer than i have people in their 50s 60s who uh, have reached out and said, hey, man, we follow what you do. We want to help guide you. People I can ring up and say, what do you think of this? Or I've been asked on a public statement for this. What do you think? How do I... Is there any nuances I need to be aware of? Is there, you know, like people I can bounce ideas around with in a safe space to better form my ideas so I can... Mm, 
present them in the most constructive fashion to a wider audience. And I'm like, I do the same work as a lot of people, but for whatever reason, I'm a little bit more public facing it at the moment, at least. And that'll fade, you know, like, but at the moment, you know, you get asked for commentary or you go on the television or you, you know, go speak in schools. I might, I probably won't do that forever. You know, there'll be someone better at it and more relevant eventually. But for as long as I am doing it, um, I want to try and do it as well as I can. And to do that, I have, I'm really fortunate to have older mentors who um, inform my practice. You know, and people who've got like different lived experience. You know, people who, you know, I listed a woman, man, like I'm a dude. Like while I have had experiences of sexual harassment or I wanted, you know, just, you know, just fucking shit happen. Like I'm not a woman. I don't walk around worried that a dude's going to wolf whistle at me or grab my ass or pin me up against the wall at the club. Like, you know, so I need to figure out how can I use my privilege to um, amplify experiences of others you know even as a white dude you know like i don't get looked at the same way as a you know like if i'm covered i'm covered in tattoos and i wear hoodies and fucking baggy pants and shit like depending on where you are people might look at you differently if you've got different color skin and have wear a hoodie and baggy pants you know what i mean so um, how do i listen to those experiences and also what i'm learning is like it's not always my place to speak you know like I always want to speak because I want to be helpful. I really want to be helpful and I want to do the right thing. But sometimes I'm like, oh, hey, actually, I'm not the best spokesperson on this particular issue. This person is. You should maybe talk to them or let's do it together. These are all lessons I've come to learn from listening to people who are different to me. Yeah. So does that answer your question? Yeah. I I think you've got a gift and a unique... Like, I always wonder, like, there's a, we're born in a specific time in the world and there's specific problems, and, 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 I, and I think there's a book, Better Angels of Our Nature, that just showed how society is getting better pretty much in every metric, but we always have new problems to yeah. solve. Like, yeah. like, you know, Elon Musk is solving electric cars, and we're actually, rather than solving World War One or Two, we're working on... Yeah, this, more um, refined problems. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you saying that too, because a lot of the work I do, it's fucking sad. It's about horrible shit. But I like that you said that in every metric. We're actually getting better. People are generally living longer. You know, we have higher levels of like comfort. Like, we're even improving in some, you know, like, there's a whole bunch of shit that's getting better. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think it's important to keep in mind whether you're an educator or an activist or, uh, you know, you just sign petitions on the internet or whatever. Like, be hopeful <laughs> because it can be quite easy not to particularly if you look at like Twitter feeds and Facebook and mainstream media negativity gets a primacy of attention negative things get a primacy of attention well actually there's a lot of good shit too like keep that in mind you know like the fact that we're having the discussions that I'm having with you now that's great 50 years ago we weren't talking about trans rights or you know you know you know LGBT rights or the you know uh, like structural discrimination against people of color or you know rape culture like we weren't talking about those things now and they're contentious and they're difficult and they're painful and we're still figuring it out but fucking sick that that's what we're talking about now right like isn't it so rad that we're having discussion about what's masculinity with young young people you know so yeah I guess like as much as it can be emotionally draining and tiring and painful to 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 be a person in that space not just me like acknowledging all the whanau out there who do the same shit in their own way like it was fucking exciting at the same time mm-hmm. yeah even to record to be able to share this for free and drive down the road and walk to a yoke like there's so many things I just when I do my gratitude journal in the morning it's like wow the things that can pop up is there anything you're grateful for today in particular Yo, <laughs> yeah, like everything. My yeah. physical health. You know, I'm, you know, I know people who, uh, my friends, well, an old friend or a person in my network, their sister died of cancer the other day at 27. You know, like I'm so grateful that I've got my full physical health and cognitive function. Like I'm really lucky. A lot of people don't have that. You know, I'm, you know I have a beautiful girlfriend and I live with a stepson. I'm like so, <laughs> like, 
grateful for that. Like, I'm really happy that I get to wake up with a family, you know? Like, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people don't have anyone that they can fucking talk to about what's going on in their head. Like, you're so lucky if you have people around you that care to you, you know? Like, I'm lucky to... You know, all the things that pay my bills, I really care about. I've worked jobs when I was younger that just were kind of soul-deadening, you know? Like, I'm so grateful that through, um, you know, a degree of hard work, but also privilege and the fucking... I get born to a certain family and all these different coalescent things happen that I've ended up doing the stuff I do and it looks after me financially and puts food on the table and, and at the same time, I get to help other people. Like, I'm so grateful and appreciative for that. You know, like I'm grateful to have a trip coming up. Like some people never even get to leave their neighborhood, let alone the fucking country. And I do that all the time. Like I'm so lucky, you know, like I've traveled a lot to like really, you know, I've been through like Bolivia, Mexico, and like I go to Thailand all the time for Muay Thai. And like, I'm so grateful for that. But in those places, I meet people who their life is really hard in a way that we will never ever I can empathize but I'll never experience that and keeping that in mind just keeps me kind of grounded you know like I'm grateful that you're interested in talking to me you know like who the fuck am I I'm not any I'm not special like I'm just a dude who happens to talk about the shit that I think is important and a degree of people think it's interesting or important too and so the fact that you're like oh let's share his ideas or his work like I'm grateful for that I'm appreciative of that I still find it weird you know like I do an increasing amount of media and I'm like oh why do you want to fucking talk you know like I was on the television yesterday like talking to the whole country about shit I think is important like it's fucking weird for me like do you know what I mean like I'm truly like weird <laughs> like I'm on the TV you, do you know what I mean like I carry I was a very insecure child man like I was a real insecure child who used to think about killing himself all the time and fucking didn't think I'd be shit I didn't think anyone would like me and now I'm happy like I'm grateful for that oh beautiful man oh, I think I don't know what else to say. I think I feel privileged to. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I get, a, more of your story I get emotional. And, yeah, no, but <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to. Like, I get. I'm up in my feelings all the time, man. Mm. But like, you know what? Like, it doesn't mean I'm any less of a man. That's what I try and teach boys. Mm. Fuck, I'm off to the gym to do boxing now. You know, I teach men how to fight. I teach people how to fight. That's my job. You can still be into physical pursuits and fucking start crying when you're talking about shit, shit on a podcast you know what I mean like those aren't like binary things but our culture devalues that we devalue men for crying don't don't do that yeah anyway. well, I think you're doing we're going to wrap it up now anyway don't we well thank you um, for having me it's been a pleasure is there um, as you try and record one little video as well on on if you don't mind if no. there's um Give me a heads up. I'll get the bling in there. Um, is there one kind of piece of advice you'd like to give people um, on how to live a happy, kind of successful life or anything that comes to mind? Piece of advice on how to live a happy life? Um, you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. You know, like I think quite often we swallow what intuitively feels bad for us to go with the, go with the crowd because that's kind of easier at the time. But if you do that for long enough... It's going to catch up with you in some way. Um, I think it's really important to learn how to communicate and have awkward, awkward conversations, man. Like when I think about relationships that didn't work out uh, or, you know, I don't know, just feeling bad. A lot of it comes down to communication, like learning how to mm, communicate empathetically is super vital. And if you don't know how to do that, fucking read a book or listen to a podcast or see a counselor or um, talk to a friend, you know. I think learning how to communicate healthily is perhaps one of the most important skills that we need to have, but no one necessarily teaches us. So, yeah, learning to be comfortable with being yourself, if, even if that's being different to the people around you, and learning how to communicate, I think those are really vital things that, that will serve us all in good stead. Oh, fantastic, man. That's been... Um it's been a pleasure and yes yeah, so, 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 you, you 
lifting me up to higher <laughs> standards and <laughs> pulling on the heartstrings. So thanks so much for You're your welcome, work, bro. Richie. And thanks, for, thanks for having me. Well, what an episode. So grateful for Richie and his time and the message he is spreading and the work he is doing. Um, it really, yeah, got me thinking about the way we communicate and, and how we can be kinder and more compassionate to those less fortunate and those people we normally vilify. I even think of <laughs> Donald Trump as well as you know the rich and the poor, the people at all levels of society and, and the environments that have you know supported them to behave in certain ways and how we can really bring some more understanding and and communicate more openly and and just connect more it's such a rare thing to really speak from the heart and to share a tear with another guy it's um it's fantastic and and it really brings a, a depth to life that's that's often sorely missing particularly with all the, the time we spend online so yeah, really grateful for Richie. Make sure you check out his TEDx talk, get down to Fort Knox gym. If you're going to throw some punches, throw them in the gym with Richie. And um, thank you to our unofficial sponsor, Orphan's Kitchen, for the chicory tea, the venue, and Tom Hishon and the team. Always an amazing space and place to be. And uh, Arthur Arbes for the background music. I love his album Gold and the music he's putting out. So check that out. Again, the music, the environment, the people we're around, make it inspiring, make it uplifting, make it educating. If there's one thing to take out of that, look at your environment. This episode, look at the environment and um, and 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 make the environment support the actions and the goals and the things you want to achieve. So, thank you for listening. Think less, experience more, and most importantly, be yourself. Hope you dug it. <laughs>